0: Welcome to Down to Zero, a series where we speak to game-changing entrepreneurs, investors and experts on how to build a successful climate tech company.
1: We're your hosts, Shemise Mohinani and Florian Dahlhausen.
0: In the last episode, we talked about how solar became cheap and how you can bring technology costs down. And we talked about how increasing scale and achieving economies of scale was critical to reduce cost. But the big question we face for new climate technologies today is how to deploy physical infrastructure at that scale. And for that, there's a tremendous amount that we can learn from the solar industry, which which has done this successfully for decades. And that's why we are super excited to have Boris Schubert join us for a second time. He's the COO at Silicon Ranch, one of the largest developer independent power producers. And he's been working on the energy transition for over 20 years, focused on large scale solar projects for much of that thanks so much for joining us again boris great to be here
1: awesome well since we know you so well we're going to start with the hard questions straight away at the beginning of this year the us had 73 gigawatts of utility scale solar deployed and you at silicon ranch are responsible for a pretty big part of that you have five gigawatts of solar and battery storage systems that are contracted under construction or operating across the US and Canada. That's equivalent to nearly 4 million holes, which is quite a lot for a single company.
2: Yes, we're very excited. We're very excited about this. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a testament to to the business model that uh, that was built uh, more than a decade ago about this truly community-centric, uh, integrated uh, solar deployment. Right? So that, that really bringing the pieces together And uh, I think the whole episode is about what are those pieces?
1: Yeah, for sure. So you clearly know how to deploy at a very large scale. You've worked across the entire life cycle of solar power plants, from development to finance, engineering, procurement, construction, or EPC, and operations and maintenance. Uh, before we get into the weeds and the frameworks, tell us more about how you've been involved in utility-scale solar throughout your career. In
2: 2007, I joined QCELLS uh, back in Germany. Uh, and and uh, if listeners are interested, in the last episode, we talked a bit more about that. And as part of that, uh, part of that uh, joining QCELLS, there was this question, and it was a relevant question all over Europe, how, how do we get to the next level from feed and herbs? And uh, the answer is uh, power purchase agreements, right? So really getting customer pull. And uh, I was sent to the US and in 2008, uh, arrived here in June, Mm -hmm. September, something like Lehman Brothers happened, which had a slight impact on on the industry. Uh, Since then, I think I've heard the term solar coaster quite a lot, uh, so that we've been through. And what we decided back then that we're going to pivot away from our initial plan, and uh, we we actually built an epc business so going directly to provide those key services to to the customer who had uh, some some development assets in in canada and in order to do that we also built an OM m business so that's where truly uh, I, I started building an OM m business uh, around this epc part having spent quite some time at accenture in in system integration and, and the, the, the philosophy around it. So so we were really focused on building a standardized methodology and approach that can be repeatable and, and, and can be delivering relevant check marks along the way. We went on actually going into development. So the front end part of, of that business. And uh, I have spent at, at different places um, up until 2017, developing uh, uh, solar farms uh, in, in, in North America and, and uh, abroad, and really then spent uh, five years with Shell, uh, where where I was asked to help Shell think about how do you do onshore renewable power development on a global scale. Had an had an amazing opportunity to see the different business models, the different Development models uh, in be it in Asia, be it in Australia, uh, we build our own teams in Europe and, and Brazil, which incredible work that was done there. And um, I had the opportunity to see a, a, an incredible, exciting company in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, called Silicon Ranch. Uh, and I joined them uh, about eighteen months ago. And the reason is, and we will talk about this, of course, in that episode. Uh, what I believe what it takes in order to continue to grow the industry is uh, reliable, responsible partners, and that uh, requires a complete bundle of activities that n- that need to come from a trusted partner. Wonderful. Yeah, you've, you've clearly seen the entire advice,
0: right? <laughs> and we would love to get into the weeds of that. Um, and maybe to start, can you lay out your framework for how you're thinking about making a utility scale solar project happen?
2: fundamentally there are three steps uh, there there is uh, a development phase where you basically de-risk the project and you you come to a point that that in the industry often is called notice to proceed ntp as an abbreviation and this this notice to proceed is is a function of an epc agreement but it's it's also a function of the the, the financing agreement which means beforehand there's uncertainty. Different pieces need to be brought together. Once you hit notice to proceed, the only way out for that project is once it's successfully built. So that's that's what brings what brings all parties together. So you've done the development parts. You've reached notice to proceed. You go into stage two, what has all kinds of different terms. We typically call it the delivery uh-huh. parts where your key player is whoever is doing the EPC business for you. And Shanice, you mentioned it, the engineering procurement construction. So that's what's happening after notice to proceed. And I should be clear, you work with those partners before notice to proceed, but at notice to proceed, they really, they are at the steering wheel. They drive the project to what we call commercial operation date. Uh, at the time when the system has actually, some say, is pushing electrons where your revenue agreement with the customer kicks in. And once you've achieved that milestone, your project goes into the third phase, uh, which uh, is typically called operations. And that's the phase that goes in SOLAR up to 40 years. My focus is really on the development and delivery part, which we typically call deployment. Uh, And so those two pieces.
0: That's super helpful and like a very structured framework. We love to go kind of mainly to the first ones around the deployment a bit deeper. You mentioned around the first phase, the uh, develop phase, and that is really around reducing uncertainty. Can you unpack that a bit for us? What are the major uncertainties that you are trying to reduce during that phase? And what
2: do you do to reduce those uncertainties? I mentioned that Milestone notice to proceed. That Milestone gives you the opportunity as a developer to really bring in not only your own equity, but to bring in uh, construction debt uh, and then to... With basically is asset-based project finance. What does that mean? It means that without a parental guarantee, your asset itself becomes the security for your lender. So in order to do that, you need to hit a lot of milestones on the development side. That is really driving... What is considered a de-risk project? And when you think about this from a, from a finance risk perspective, what do you need? You need your land. So is your land secured? That can be either uh, you have a lease option in place or at Silicon Ranch, we buy the land because we want to be a member of the community and, and we believe in the value that uh, is created around that piece of land for the long, for the long term. So that's number one, you need the land. Number two, you not only need the land, you need the permits to actually build and operate a solar farm on that piece of land. So now you have the land, you have the right to build the solar farm, but now the power needs to go somewhere. So what you need is an interconnection agreement. And, and that is uh, with your with your local grid operator, there is, there is a structured process you need to go through. But step, not step three, but the third layer of that cake is your interconnection agreement. And the fourth part is somebody better is paying you for the- It's always good that you push. So when you think about it really this way, you have your revenue, you have your sites, you have your permits, and you have your interconnection. These are the three, uh, the four major pieces that you're driving and de-risking to that point of notice to proceed. That's great. Now, super helpful to have that broken down, that there's really these four steps to the first stage. Very structured. But what's Sorry, Florian. What's important, it's not four steps. These are, these are four work streams that run in parallel. They want to go in different directions at different times, and your job is to not let them. As a developer, oversimplified, your job is to keep those four work streams running in parallel that they, at the same time, arrive at notice to proceed. That, that's super helpful to clarify because we, we for this episode, decided to
0: make it a bit more sequential than it actually is. So really helpful to think of these are parallel things that that you can do, at least within those within those three buckets.
1: So when it comes to development, what is a good initial feasibility study answer and what does the study include? And we talked about the four different things that you need to get to a yes to, but how do you actually get there?
2: So the term feasibility study is is used on different parts of, that, of those four word streams. You can have a feasibility study around the viability of your interconnection. You can also have a feasibility study about the viability or constructability of your site. Uh, and uh, in my mind, the, the best way uh, to minimize risk very early on is to, and then that's by the way how we're running it at that, that Silicon Ranch, is where you have a tight communication between your land team and your interconnection team, that you are in, in in lockstep assessing those sites. Uh, You have seen in the industry a lot of players who go out there secure land, and then start assessing what of that land is actually working for me from a from a grid access or interconnection viability perspective. And uh, that has in the past uh, coined the term "bregal watts." People talk about their pipeline, talk about uh, their their secured sites, uh, but haven't done the actual work to to. Assess to what degree it is viable uh, to to build that project. So in my mind, it, it's it, the first step is you run your viability um, on on the grid side, on the land side. Uh, of course, you assess uh, you assess the the, the community uh, uh, from that perspective, and, and having those boxes checked before you even uh, sign your your option.
0: That's great. And one other point that you mentioned in the first bucket. Was around permitting and i know that that is is a big challenge for a lot of people so i would love to quickly go a bit deeper there and understand like what are the best practices for getting through that process as quickly as possible
2: and as efficiently as possible i think the first step is probably not think about it going to it to through it as quickly as possible uh, i i think that is that is really for me uh, a key theme don't want to go there. So I've seen a lot of developers who think about this as a as a just a box in the in the in the checklist, right? And I think that is that leads to some of the issues that we're currently seeing in the industry. And I think that's uh, when you think about how Silicon Ranch was founded, it was actually founded by three uh, former public servants, right? so the former uh, governor of Tennessee, and two of his uh, commissioners, uh, uh, Matt Kisber and uh, Regan Farr, who, who are the chairman and the CEO uh, of Silicon Ranch today. And they, from the get-go, uh, set up the company with that community-centric in mind, where we're saying solar as a means for rural economic development. And that's where you start. You, you start from working early on in the community to get a sense what is important to that community. What, do, what experience do they have in that community? And you are ponder along the way. And uh, you might uh, recall in the last episode, we spoke a bit about um, uh, the, the checklist. And we talked about this, uh, listen uh, listen uh, to understand uh, not to respond. That's what you need to do. You need to be in that community and you need to listen. And you need to truly understand what what is important uh, to that community. And I think if you tie it back, if you tie it back to the, the wider, the wider mission of your of your of your podcast here, there's uh, getting to zero, down to zero. That's where the energy transition happens. Whether this is solar or any of the other technologies that we're talking about, they, at the end of the day, they're happening on a local level. And that's where you start. Okay. That's super
0: helpful to understand that permitting shouldn't really be just this checkbox that you have to do with the government but that it also involves community engagement and really getting buy-in from the the side that you're, um, the, the communities around the side where you're actually going yeah. in there. Shall we move to the next phase, to the deliver phase?
1: Yep. Uh, so when it comes to delivering a project, what are the critical activities during the EPC phase?
2: The, the beauty is the the term almost gives it away, right? So so engineering procurement uh, uh, construction uh, is, is exactly what's happening. There, there is a little bit of permitting happening at the beginning as well. Uh, often a building permit uh, has to be pulled uh, so so that you, uh, that, that you can actually do the work. But fundamentally, the developer as a role or as a company hands over what they call custody care and control of the site to an EPC player. Uh, at, at Silicon Ranch, we have our own subsidiary called SREPC. So for some of our projects, we are our own uh, uh, EPC, but we also work uh, on uh, with, with trusted partners in the industry as, as EPC partners. So now the control, uh, you, you hand over the steering wheel. Uh, now the EPC player is ensuring that they have design in place that is way more detailed than what you've done during the development. It's really, it's called IFC issued for construction. So basically you're, you're, you have a detailed design from an electric perspective, from a stormwater perspective, from a, from a, from a, from a civil perspective, and with the procurement of the major components and then not only the major components, but all of the components in place, you then actually go on site and build the project until it's mechanically complete. And then is what you go. You go in a phase that is called commissioning, where you basically do uh, first a cold and then a hot commissioning, cold meeting. There is no power flowing and hot commissioning meaning You're actually testing the system under, under power load. And once you've done through those steps, you've procured, you've built, uh, you've commissioned uh, the system, you have achieved commercial operation and you hand it over to whoever is providing the onm services. And at that point, whoever owns the system at that time is start billing the customer.
1: Got it. And who actually owns the EPC stage? Is there someone that you contract out to? Are there established firms? Or how should someone think about the deliver phase as after the development phase?
2: That fundamentally... Is driven by your business model, uh, and I think for, for your listeners, that's in in my mind a key question for them to to ponder: What role do they actually want to play when it comes to infrastructure deployment? Right. So, and yeah. uh, from a Silicon Ranch perspective, we really we are a developer IPP, which means we do our own development. We own the the assets uh, through the full life cycle. Uh, on, on some of those projects, we are our own uh, EPC. And on some of those projects, we outsource and partner with third-party EPCs. And then we also own the asset for the long t- term. That comes with a lot of benefits because, and we spoke about this a little bit in the last episode, about that trust and that that engagement with your community, what, what, what we promise we can commit to keeping because we are in that car, in that project all along the the way. There are other business models out there and to some degree, these business models have developed over time, uh, starting with with the feed-in tariffs back in the the 2000s, where you could imagine you're a developer, which means you're de-risking those assets and before actually significant amount of capital needs to be injected which is mainly around the the key components or the construction work you sell the asset you're selling an Excel spreadsheet Uh, you, you, you sell a legal entity that has the the rights that you need in order to to run a project but then as a developer you you sell it on to somebody else you might sell it to somebody who has EPC services or you sell it to somebody who is who's just the owner who then turns around and finds an EPC contractor and you've seen truly over the course of the of the industry uh, at the beginning you had mainly solar players actually taking on the role as EPC uh, because a they felt most comfortable with the guarantees and warranties that are coming with a solar panel because they were the manufacturer of those uh, but as that became the panel and the technology more and more a commodity, you saw um, a lot of the traditional construction companies taking on those those EPC roles. So you you, you have truly traditional high performing construction companies who over the last one and a half decades uh, leaned into providing those those EPcs. Well, let's assume you were the owner, you bought the project. Uh, well, now, once you build the project, there are actually quite a lot of players who then sell the asset uh, because you now can prove I de-risked it, uh, I, I build it, uh, it's performing per, per spec uh, and there is actually market out there for those operating assets. And some players actually run it for a year or two uh, to create even more proof points and then sell the asset into what they sometimes call the secondary market. Well, and what you need then, similar to your EPC service provider to your site, uh, you either have your own O&M team or you have a third-party O&M services provider. And O&M is operations and maintenance, right? Operations and maintenance, exactly, which which kicks in as soon as your project is uh, commercially operated. These are in addition, with the key component providers like the panel manufacturer, the inverter manufacturer, the racking manufacturer, this is truly the part that uh, that, that drives through those uh, three steps.
1: Got it. So let's say I'm standing on the cusp of a decision. I have my land secured, I have the permits, I have the interconnection, and I know that there's someone who is paying. Uh, so essentially, I've received my notice to proceed. What is the big question that I'm asking myself to decide whether I want to move with delivering the project on my own versus selling the asset or the Excel spreadsheet, rather, than and there? The
2: key question at that point is who is organizing the financing? Let's assume for a second you're a developer, so you don't sit, you, you, you don't have, uh, uh, you're not planning to build the project on balance sheet, as they yeah. say. So there are other industries like the oil and gas industry that is not really focusing on on project finance, right? So you hear a lot in the oil and gas industry, you build on balance sheet. Let's assume you are a, you are a frugal developer. And uh, so then the question becomes, who is putting the financing in place? And the financing includes the sponsor equity. It includes the construction debt. And in the US, it also includes the tax the equity. So then it's really becoming this financial structuring. And some developers have those capabilities and uh, take this on on their own, and some don't. And they sell it to players who then can do that. But it, we've already introduced quite a number of interfaces. right? And, and I think that's where if, if you are working with a developer, I would highly recommend look for the ones who can take it the longer, right So because that, that minimizes disruption, uncertainty and, and uh, increases the delivery against commitments.
1: Super interesting. We'll get to who's paying for it uh, in a second. But specific to EPC, what are some of the most common mistakes you've seen people make?
2: We, I think I like to answer this from two perspectives. The one is, as uh, I'm an owner and I'm a selecting an EPC. And uh, the, from the other perspective, being an EPC, don't underestimate the quality of track record. So of, of, of working with partners who have done that before and in the best case scenario, we have done this with you before. Be, so, so that you can really work together as one team because that's really what matters along, along that way. So I think that's for me the, the, the perspective from, from an owner's perspective. From an EPC perspective, I have seen in the past that some EPC players, specifically if they don't have the experience, borderline forget line items. And are that getting surprised by by additional activities or additional challenges that that come up? So I think the utilities, when when we were in the renewable portfolio standard world, that really drove that transparency on what is in your bid Prove to me that you can actually build that project for that price, uh, help the whole industry to elevate the game. Because beforehand, the last thing you want is as a partner having an, an EPC who cannot deliver the project for you. That's great. So now we've touched on the two parts that are around the
0: deployment. We've touched on develop and we've touched on deliver. And we're going to skip over the operating part because the question that we're really trying to answer is how do you deploy at scale. But one question that is now top of my mind is who pays for all of this? We have this amazing plan now, but building a gigawatt capacity can cost several hundred of millions of dollars. Who pays? How do we do this? You,
2: whoever owns the asset at the end, has multiple options how to how to structure the financing along the way. There are not too many options in the first phase so when we talk about notice to proceed. Uh, there, there are there are some there are some tools for some of the deposits where some players might might tap into in, into bringing in partners. But fundamentally, the the key is building an infrastructure asset. So, solar didn't invent that. Uh, the solar industry didn't invent that. Creating an opportunity for energy infrastructure energy infrastructure investor, and in, in, in our case, we are that investor, is, is creating opportunities to efficiently deploy capital by focusing on the parts where we, as an as a de- developer or the development function, where we can't tap into those uh, other uh, uh, sources. But fundamentally, and I think we touched about around this earlier, your development is built around de-risking an asset so that you can get project finance, construction finance for that project. You still have your sponsor equity in the system. And in the US, you you have that added component of tax equity. So so you are in that system as a sponsor. But because of the work you've done to de-risk the asset and, and to create and, and uh, a viable project that in quotation marks only has to be built, that gives you the access to that uh, asset based project finance. Okay. So, then, of course, once the project is built, uh, then you can use the same mechanics, the same uh, uh, drivers around a, a, a solar asset to go from construction to permanent finance. So it seems like
0: really during the development phase, this is something that you're mainly financing through equity. And then during the deliver phase, you have many more options where you can actually take on other types of financing. And that would be a thing that I would love to go a bit deeper into. How should someone really think about designing the right financing strategy, whether that is involving equity, debt,
2: or other types of financing? And let me clarify, this is now for your, for your listeners who might not be in the solar space, but so more in a, in a wider sense. If, if we can make it a bit wider than solar, that's great. Um. In my mind, the question becomes, and the, the, we, we used to talk about the industry a lot about bankability uh, from our technology. So when you think about the 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, the term bankability was all the rage. You had a lot of different uh, technologies in within the solar uh, space, right? All kind of thin film technology um, and and at that time, I feel that is probably the most comparable to to whatever your, your your listeners are driving from an innovation perspective. If it's on the product or on the technology side, how do you ensure that your component is considered bankable? So that it is as part of the the construction financing or as part of the debt financing accepted as sufficiently de-risked. And back then in 2008, 2009, I remember it was all around, can you prove that there's actually a PV project that is already operating with your technology? So if you are in in the technology space and your component is part of a, uh, of a project that is part of the energy infrastructure um, ecosystem, you cannot wait... And you cannot waste time on deploying as as quickly as possible uh, to get out of the lab, to get out of the pilot, so that you you can collect the, the independently verified performance data of your component so that this can become part of the financing. I think that's probably the the most relevant comparison to where where the solar industry was 10, 15 years ago.
1: That makes sense. And the word bankability has actually come up a lot now, even in venture, because of the Department of Energy's Bridge to Bankability program that they've run through the Inflation Reduction Act. So it feels like the word is making a comeback. Uh, one question that we've seen climate tech startups that eventually will need to deploy physical infrastructure the way solar does is they start with venture equity at the parent company level and then they need to access these different types of financing that you touch on. How do you find these investors and how do you decide which of these investors, whether it's project financiers or more traditional banks that can lend to you, would be the right ones to finance your project?
2: I do believe it is incredibly important for yourself to identify what is actually your role in all of this. Are you a developer? Are you a component provider? Are you going to be the owner of all of that? And identify that and depending of that decision, your customers are completely different. So if if, if your listener is uh, is providing or is inventing exciting energy tech, uh, make sure that you're talking to the actual decider. Uh, I personally, uh, when I was uh, doing EPC business uh, early on in, in, in my career, spent months, uh, up to a year, working with a potential customer who just when we were ready to sign our agreement uh, that included module supply... That, I had promised back in Germany that there's monument supply. They sold the asset to somebody else who had already lined up the different components and the different EPC providers. So I think being absolutely sharp for yourself, what am I? Uh, and, and not sleepwalk into becoming a developer or becoming an EPC without being absolutely clear what does that mean from a risk and from a capability perspective. I think that would be my first. Uh, recommendation to to be absolutely sharp. What am I? And as we've seen in the solar industry, you had the phase where the solar players wanted to go further down the value uh, uh, chain, but the EPC players at the time weren't ready to be that EPC partner uh, because the technology wasn't considered experienced enough or bankable for that matter. So for a certain amount of time, you saw those solar players become EPC providers. But you got to make this as a conscious move. Right? So, and I think that's where um, if, you, if you're if you an infrastructure investor, it's it starts screening what components, what technologies out there, and when can I run certain experiments, or how can I frame what data I need in order to make and, and bring them in, 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 into the fold. But the, as an infrastructure investor, you know your partners, you have your ecosystem of, 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 of lenders around you and, and you work with them to see what new technology is coming. So as a developer, you work very closely uh, with, the, with the EPC and with potential uh, investors to understand their risk appetite. Um, and, and the last thing you want is uh, have a two a uh, quotation mark two innovative system that is not getting deployed because it was considered too risky by by the different players and I think to some degree as a VC uh you have to be super sharp how much of the initial project the the initial proof points do I just have to build on balance sheet in uh, as a VC in order to create those third party, Reports around your bankability. This is a great walkthrough. I'm wondering if we're taking all of this
0: from deployment and financing and operating that we've talked about here now, there seems to be a couple of elements that are probably that could probably be optimized for efficiency, for speed, or for ease so that we actually get more climate technologies out into the field and can meet our climate goals. And I would love to hear your thoughts on where do you think that. Change needs to happen most? Is it during the develop phase? Is it during the deliver phase? Is it during the operate phase or the financing part that's kind of underlying all of it? And what would those changes
2: be? I do think, even for solar PV, it's still early days. It's still early days, right? So we are past the first inflection point of the S curve. We're not even close to the second one. So I I do think standardization, automation, has still a long, long way to go and a lot of uh, room for growth. And maybe I say this as an industrial engineer or as a former system integrator, uh, but there is a lot to be said about automation and standard. Can you quickly elaborate on what you mean by standardization and automation here? When you think about manufacturing, the framework agreements that you have in place between component providers and actually the system integrators, a.k.a car manufacturers when you think about it i think the uh, when you look at the, the german luxury brands i think their actual vertical integration uh, what they're capturing from a from a value chain perspective is is minuscule right so it's uh, the vast majority is outsourced to third party providers and uh, when you drive your manufacturing you're not agreeing on a component by component or i should say unit by unit perspective on how are we going how are we going to the manufacturing for the next weekend? Right, So no, you set up these long-term framework and that helps you to, to speed up uh, your, your communication and your integration across the different parts of the building chain. When you look at the solar industry or generally speaking, the, the the energy transition players, we are at times often still look at one project at a time. We see changes. For example, when when you look at Silicon Ranch, we we signed framework agreements with some of our key partners. with more than more than four gigawatt of framework agreement with uh, uh, First Solar uh, as a as a module supply. And as you can imagine, that was not on a project basis. That is two partners agreeing we're going to deploy that volume together. We have the same on the racking side uh, uh, with with ne- Next Tracker. But that is in my mind just the beginning. And that kind of Standardization around, okay, how do we procure? What are the different components that we bring into that? That's where solar has an absolute advantage over wind or biomass or any other competing generation form because it is so modular. Right? So it, it's, it's it's in itself modular and standardized so that that you can actually work around those scalabilities for different projects. So bringing more manufacturing mindset into the construction business. Maybe that's the way to think about.
1: Awesome. I feel like we've touched on so many different areas during this episode that gets to the heart of creating an actionable playbook for deploying physical infrastructure at scale by learning about what's happened in solar. So for me personally, what I'm taking away is the key steps are develop, deliver, operate. Under development, we need to secure land, we need a permit, we need interconnection, and we need somebody to be paying for it. Under deliver, it adds complexity to be delivering a project uh, in addition to developing it, but it can be more rewarding and lucrative to do so. And then finally, the whole piece becomes super important depending on the business model. So the development stage is typically paid for by equity, but the deliver phase opens up a lot more financing options. And eventually what gets the technology to scale is some level of standardization and automation that happens when you're able to develop, deliver, operate and finance it well. So thank you so much for It's been amazing having you on our show for two episodes. We've learned a lot from you. Really appreciate it.
2: Shanice, the one thing I would add is if you are in the business to deploying infrastructure, yep. if that's your business as a listener, you got to start with the community where you're deploying that.
0: That's a great closing word
2: to also look at the community rather than just the
0: project. Thank you for joining us, Boris. This was amazing again. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
1: Join us next time as we speak to another game-changing entrepreneur, innovator, or investor who is working to get us down to zero.